You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. This is a podcast which is meant to help pastors, worship leaders, and just people who listen to worship music in their car, in their house, think critically about those songs. Uh, I am Colin, and I am a history professor at a large institution, large university in the Midwest, and I also was a worship leader for about 15 years. I'm joined by my friend Tyler. And I am a PhD student at the same institution. I study the uh, linguistic structures of Germanic languages, and I also was a worship leader in a few congregations for about eight years. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the song Waymaker by Sinatra, which is a tremendously popular song. It has, as of today, 151 or 150 million, million views on YouTube. It is in the CLI top 10. It is a mega hit in Christian circles. It is sung congregationally in numerous churches and has been covered by numerous Christian artists. Moving in our midst, I worship you. I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. We want to ask three things about this song, which are the three things that we ask about every song that we look at on this podcast. Who or what is the song about? What is happening in the song? And is the song consistent and coherent and clear? And in in talking about those questions, which again, seem very basic, we really get to uh, what is going on in the song, its theology, its ideas, and potentially some of its problems. So uh, then we're going to rate the song one out of five, and uh, that the the quantity of that rating is is determined by Tyler and I. So we will uh, we'll get to that, I suppose, at the end. But for now, let's start out with the content and context. What is this song about? Who is this song about? That's a great question, Colin. That's a great question. Who or what is this song about? And um, at times, it's not always clear, but uh, there is a you. There is a you, and my God is said. Okay. And so I think we can clearly say this song is about God. Several titles are offered to him. Um, he is, and several actions are being taken by him, and um, he is compared to several maladies as well. So we can look <laughs> at those. But um, so he is moving, he is touching and healing every heart, and he is turning lives around. Okay. Um, it's not always clear. In fact, it's almost never clear, I should say more specifically. It's almost never clear which person of the Trinity is doing these actions. Uh-huh. Sometimes it seems to be the Holy Spirit. Uh, sometimes it seems to be Jesus. He's named uh, specifically as well. And there's some extensive repetition of these themes throughout. Sinach chants or shouts some things in Ebo at some point. I believe to be Ebo. I'm not certain. But I don't know what they are. So I can't comment on those. I worship you. I 
If any listeners speak Igbo or is familiar with someone from Nigeria who speaks this language, uh, we would love to know what it is that she says in the middle of the song. Um, but like Colin said, this song has been covered by many artists who don't also include those those things. You thought it was an actual language, what she says. I do think so. I, I could be wrong. I s- spent some time as a very as a young person and a young Christian in Pentecostal settings. And uh, I my understanding is that sh- this song, and maybe even she herself, is has some affiliation with the Assemblies of God movement, which is in the Pentecostal realm. What she said reminded me very much of what I heard being described, being thought of as tongues. And my, my grandmother was a Pentecostal whom I loved dearly and was instrumental in, in bringing me to, to Christ. She she was a Pentecostal, and that was her main kind of that was her main kind of word too was Shabada, and uh, and Sinash in the recording gives some some Shadadas. I didn't notice yes. at all. And Is it Shadada? Shadada, yeah. Um, so I wondered whether whether she was signaling a tongue of some kind. Uh, but anyway, so, if anyone speaks Igbo or any West African language, yeah, please and can just just check and see if you understand it. Yeah. I'd love to know uh, what what was said, and if it is tongues, that makes a lot of sense because you know she's a member of a very large megachurch in Lagos, and and, and certainly based on the videos, it looks quite Pentecostal mm-hmm. or certainly charismatic, and maybe Pentecostal. You Now, uh, just one thing I would add to what you've just said: the most, the most prominent thing that we learn about or, or learn about God in this song, the thing that's said more than anything else is that He is here. That is mm-hmm. the, that is repeated mm-hmm. so many times in this song, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure where here is. Hmm. So presumably, if this is being sung in a congregational setting, this is a song which references what is a maxim at this point or kind of a, a definitive concept for the kind of charismatic Christians, which is like when two or more are gathered together, right? There yes. you are amongst us. And I think that verse has been taken as a kind of confessional justification for the charismatic or even mystical idea that if we say, if there are if there are Christians around, God's presence, like in, in not just a uh, not just His presence through the Word or His presence through something else, um, but like His His kind of mystical presence mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. here. And I I can't know what's in the mind of Sinach, the songwriter, or what's in the mind of the worship leader who sings this song. But just based on the videos that I've seen of this song, uh, it looks to be that God is here as an attribute of God is is definitely playing on that idea that God is mystically here mm-hmm. as well. So God is a mystic that, that 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 I'm just saying that idea of God being here carries a lot of weight beyond just the statement that God is here. There's this 
it's that's actually saying something about how God works as well. He's meant to be perceived in some aspect. Yes, sensor in a yes, sensory way, perhaps heard or, or, or felt, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Um, rather than rather than simply trusting that he's present, and yeah. I I need do nothing to add to that. Yeah, or that he's objectively present in in the words that we're you know in scripture or that sort of thing. So he moves in our midst. He works in this place. Uh, later on, we hear he touches every heart, he heals every heart, he mends every heart. Um, he keeps promises. He keeps his promises. I love that yeah. line. I really do. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. He works miracles. Uh, she she describes God as waymaker, miracle worker. Mm-hmm. He is the light in the darkness. Mm-hmm. Now, we have to be careful. The darkness is left kind of vague. It's not clear whether we, as sin, sinful people, yeah, contribute to that darkness or if that's the world around us or if that's just a platitude. But it is named, there is darkness, and God is the light therein. Light and darkness is an interesting thing because it's one of those common, I don't know if we want to call it a cliche, because of course, Scripture makes use, John especially, makes use of light and darkness as as language to to talk about as a way to clarify what God is in these very absolute terms mm-hmm. light and darkness it's a very mm-hmm. it's a, it's a good way it's a good metaphor um but also may have the effect of obfuscating actually what sin, what darkness is mm-hmm. and what light is i mean uh, when 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 Sinach talks about light, and, or when Sinach talks about darkness, like is she speaking about the light of God's holiness? And by holiness, this is this is not an empty word. I mean, this word implies some real severity, literal weight, right? Yeah. Like a, a burning hot glory, uh, a a set apartness, an otherness, right? Uh, and not again, not in a mystical way, but in in a righteousness. You know, and darkness is you know in a bi- in a biblical context. I mean, this is the depths of sin. It's it's, it's despair, despair, yeah. wailing, gnashing of teeth. I mean, Jesus talks about outer darkness. This is not just sadness, or um, yeah, it, it has real severity to it. it. Obviously, the song doesn't have to go into overwhelming detail about those things, but there should be more than just the words light and darkness, because those, it, absent their context, their contextual meaning in Scripture, I mean, they, they lose that that gravity. Because they can take on so many meanings, unless it's explicitly clarified which ones they are meant to take, they mean virtually nothing unless yeah. you give them context. I, God is, is doing virtually everything in the song. Yes. And I think that's quite admirable about the song is that she is um, the the song does describe the person responding, "I worship you, I worship you," but it is in response to what God is doing. Like God is uh, here, and again, we there's maybe some problematic or unclear aspects about that. And he he does something, and again, what exactly does he do? We, we could talk about vagueness as well, but there is a sense, the phrase, I worship you, does seem to follow 
something that she says about God. That's true. And I think that's that is that's a, commendable. There are some songs that that really proclaim that are really focused on what we do and our work that we do and what we're bringing to worship. And then they might have something in the bridge about what God did. Whereas this song says, God is here moving in our midst. And there's not a so or therefore, but it is implied, I worship you. That's a characteristic of many of the Psalms as well. God has done this thing, therefore I respond. And I think that's a really healthy way to think about worship. Worship is a response to what God has done. It's and also not, when you're rebuking people, you remind them of all the things that God yeah. has done to them. Yeah, them. that's true. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But in, but either way, I think one of the things that's very admirable about the song is its emphasis on what God does. This is one of those songs that has, uh, you know, taken on a life of its own. It has been covered by Michael W. Smith and Leland, probably others as well. Maybe Bethel Music has done a version of it. I don't know. It seems like something they would do. And those variants have some additional lyrics, which we could also talk about a little bit as well. admission that even when I don't see it, even when I can't perceive it, God is at work. And that is a very, very Mm. beautiful reminder. It's quite a mature thought as well. Yes, it is. It takes quite a bit of spiritual maturity to acknowledge that God is at work, even when my circumstances surrounding me might not look the way I want them to. I guess we could get into the specificity of the actions that God is doing. We have some strong action words, moving, uh, keeping promises, being a light in the darkness, making ways, I'm not sure what that means, uh, touching hearts, healing hearts, mending hearts. What is it that God actually is doing in this song? We, Like you said, we see quite a few actions being taken, but we're not given the context or the end goal of those actions necessarily. And so, yes, he's healing hearts. He's turning lives around, hopefully not like Jason Kidd turning this team around 360 degrees, but <laughs> turning you from evil and putting you on the right path, maybe the maybe the, the way that he's made for you. Um, but what is the end goal? Is it a therapeutic end goal or is it uh, to his glory and to his praise? I think that's, that's a challenge for this song. Yeah, it's, it's kind of left open. Yes. Yeah, we don't really know... Uh, and the the problem with that is like, like some people may say, okay, well, I, but yes, but when I'm listening to this song, I know that it means, or I know I'm thinking about what God's done for me, blah, 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 blah. But the problem is if the actions of God aren't connected to a more objective sense of what God's done, you're leaving it up mm. to anybody in the congregation to interpret what that means. And Scripture really isn't doesn't do that. Scripture makes it very clear what God has done, what his actions are. And, and of course, the, the culmination of that is the salvific work of Christ on the cross. Mm-hmm. Like, that is the, the pivot of so much of God, God's actions. Now, he does many other things as well, but they're described in detail. I mean, Israel has this rich history of telling these stories about what 
God did for them. Like, like they go back often to being delivered out of Egypt and, or, or when, uh, you know, they're just these, a variety of these, um, being led to the wilderness. Yeah. There's yeah. markers in this song. I, I could not find a kind of descriptive anchor as to what these actions meant. And what that, what that means is practically when you're singing this in a congregational setting, there are all sorts of people in a church congregation. There are, there are Christians who read their Bible every day and they're going to be able to fill in the blanks here. But there are also going to be people who don't read their Bible or new Christians. There are also going to be unbelievers that might be going and, and accepting the kind of, um, the actions of God is just kind of the actions of the universe. Mm -hmm. And in which case, if we're not telling them who God actually is, they are, we're actually enabling them to kind of create a God of their own making. If we don't actually define what these actions are. His name is above depression. His name is above loneliness. Oh, his name is above disease. His name is above cancer. His name is above every other name. It's malpractice to the, especially to the immature Christian, uh, to name these things like loneliness, disease, cancer, depression. Yeah. Um, because, yes, God hates those things. God hates sickness. But that's that's a cause that's that's caused ultimately by our rebellion and our sin, mm-hmm. and um, to name them like that, I think could give the immature Christian the wrong impression that if I suffer from depression, it's because I I haven't praised in the right way, I haven't done the right things. If I have loneliness, and His name is above loneliness, then I must be doing something wrong, mm-hmm. and and that's not the the image that we get from scripture about about suffering it's it's interesting that that that's what was sort of filled in as the meaning of the song because he is a miracle worker yeah he right? is yeah he is we know that yeah um but it's a reckless way to um almost invoke that power from him what else do we see in here as far as its consistency its its clarity I, I think I already mentioned there seems to be a conflation of the Trinity. So when you first read it, you're here moving in our midst, working in this place, moving in our midst, working in this place. Um, healthy, a healthy Trinitarian perspective would probably have you think that that's the Holy Spirit doing this work of mm-hmm. you know, sanctifying the believers. Um, it's called God in the chorus. Um, and then Jesus is named at the very end. So I would say this this loses points on clarity in my mind. Um, and I, I, I don't actually think that repetition necessarily breeds clarity. So when we say that is who you yeah. are, that is who you are, that is who you are, that is who you are, um, it's not clear to me what the that is by the seventh or eighth time I've done that without anything between them. It's not bad to repeat things. We have Psalms doing this, you know, his love endures forever. You know, this is a, a, a phrase that is repeated often in the Psalms. 
between images from the past. Yes, yes. that's right. Exactly. <laughs> which kind of, ex- ex- yeah, exactly what we're talking about. So it's not as though repetition itself, I guess what I'm getting at is repetition itself is not a bad thing. What is it doing and how, you know, what, it, it, it's possible, you know, so I study the ancient world and one of the ways that a lot of pagan uh, priests and priestesses and oracles worked is they would repeat phrases and words and they would kind of get themselves into a kind of almost delirious state. I I don't know how many people have watched the Netflix documentary on the Rajneeshis in in Oregon. I forget what the name of that no. Wild, wild country. Wild, 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 wild country. Very good um, content warning, but very good. Yeah, yeah. Very good documentary, but yes, definitely for mature audiences only uh, because of what the cult did. But what what they did is they would do that as well. They would just kind of work themselves up into a frenzy by means of just kind of repeating words and phrases. Now, I'm not saying that um, that's happening in this in the words itself, but when this song... I was watching different performances of this song, and it just seems to me be that that is really the power of the song, is it's not in what is being said about God. It's about the catharsis of repeating kind of the same line over and over and over again. And, and you know, you're you're full of, in a room full of hot, sweaty people. I love groups of people. Yeah. They, they always do the right thing. Exactly. <laughs> I think this song lends itself more to just a kind of hype almost, you know, emotionalism and, uh, like I said, mysticism. And so, in that sense, thinking about it in in a congregational setting, your congregation that's singing it is likely to be responding more to just that, that, um, that, I don't want to use the word mob, but like the kind of crowd energy and the song energy of repetition and... Yeah, it's kind of disengaging our minds in a lot of ways. Yeah, especially when coupled with, and I don't think that that's the case here, but certainly with the the Rajneeshi, when coupled with sort of tantric oxygen deprivation mechanics, like holding your breath for a long time or hyperventilating, certainly. Um, What what do you think you would say by way of tying this together as a conclusion? Um, How does this song square with what we know from Scripture? There's just, I just didn't find a lot. And again, miracle worker, yeah, like this is, you could vaguely say this is connected to Christ working miracles, which he does. Yeah. And the miracles that we see God working in scripture. And of course, that God still works miracles. God still does miraculous things. I mean, the very fact that we're alive and breathing mm-hmm. is is it is also a miracle. Uh, so, there, he is a miracle worker, but again, it was tough for me to say where this connects to Scripture. Promise keeper, like, again, we see God making promises and keeping them, etc. It is true, and it is, it is scripturally demonstrable that God keeps promises, but I don't know, did you find anything? Yeah, I I do think we see in Scripture God is a promise keeper, although we'd better be careful about which promises we ascribe to him, right? <laughs> God did not promise to give me a million dollars. Yeah, <laughs> so sure. we need to remember that. 
Um, the, the Lord also performs miracles throughout the Old Testament, like you, you said, throughout the Old and New Testaments. Uh, my mind went to Mark 8. Um, the Pharisees, this is Mark 8, verses 11 to 12. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. He refuses to perform miracles as a display or yeah, a test of his a power. Trick. Yes. So God performs miracles when he wants to do so. And certainly we praise him for that um the love that he shows in doing that and the desire to glorify himself. But um it's it's a dangerous power game to play, in in my opinion. Would you say this song should be sung? In congregational worship? Uh, no, I don't think it should. Uh, I just don't think there's enough there. I think that it just leaves too much up to the imagination. There's just not enough to grab onto. Uh, I think a Christian could listen to this song and think about the things that God's done for them, and it might be helpful. And certainly, it's a, I mean, her voice is amazing. Mm-hmm. She's incredible. Beautiful. I mean, musically, it's beautiful. And uh, although I would say the style of the song, I mean, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, kind of just reminds me of the kind of soft, soft pop that I would hear. Uh, so maybe not 100% my style. Um, yeah, what about you, Tyler? Would you sing this congregationally? I would not advocate that it be sung congregationally. I understand the reasons why you might be able to listen to it uh, individually or maybe with your family and talk about the things that God has done and why we praise him and... Um, that would be good, um, but I, I I can't reconcile it with uh, the need for clear uh, explanation for the praise. So I would not advocate that it be sung. So uh, anything you want to say before you give the your rating? The last thing I wanted to say was that light appears in this song, which uh, appears only in the top 25 of three corpora that we studied. And that was, I know, you'd think that it wow. would be laced through yeah. um, these corpora, but it's not. Uh, the Chris Tomlin songs uh, featured light prominently. The Trinity hymnal features light prominently. And Indelible Grace music, the um, RUF. Reformed University Fellowship, arm of the Presbyterian PCA. Church in America, campus ministry. Yeah, go ahead. Great job avoiding the acronyms. Um, it's used <laughs> in those three corpora, but but nowhere else. So that interesting to see where it where it lines up. So uh, my final score, if I may. Yes, please. Um, I give it two personal invitations from Joel Osteen. <laughs> I also gave it two out of five shadadas. So very good. Uh, and whatever a shadada is. It's got two of them. So for uh, for our listeners who haven't heard the can't, the rubric before, um, a two means there are some major and some minor reservations about singing this congregationally, and the good elements in the song do not outweigh them. And so that's what separates it from a three, for example. Yeah. So if people aren't going to sing Waymaker or they're going to approach Waymaker with some caution, Tyler... What sorts of songs should they sing instead? Yeah, it depends on what they wanted to accomplish by singing Waymaker. So this song, to me, seems to be pointing to God's presence in our lives. And if I were looking for a song that 
really centered on that, I would probably sing How Firm a Foundation, mm, actually. So we have good. we have this line, Fear not, I am with you. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am your God and will still give you aid. I'll strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand, upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand. And then later on, when through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with you, your troubles to bless, and sanctify to you your deepest distress. Mm. So if I wanted to reassure God's people that he is with them, even in distressing times, that is where I would go. That's a great song for this. That's phenomenal. I'm, I, I didn't think as much about presence as promises because oh, I think those that are is there. such a beautiful idea, to, right? Promise keeper to ascribe yes. to God his yes. faithfulness. It is. It's yes. a. I mean, again, the song does talk about true attributes of God. It just doesn't always get it as precisely as you might like. So some songs that speak more precisely about God's promises, uh, a song like Great is Thy Faithfulness, uh, a song like He's Always Been Faithful. As I was preparing some recommendations for songs, I was reading through the chorus again. And I don't know if this is intentional, but um, Miracle Worker precedes Promise Keeper. And they come right next to each other in that refrain of titles to God. And when I read that, my mind went to Psalm 136. And so if you are if you are a uh, psalm-singing church, um, look at Psalm 136 where we see God's miracles directly tied to his promises as we praise him for his steadfast love. I think that really hits it hard. So... Um, if I could just read maybe maybe verse 13 yeah. for a few. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, excuse me, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And then we go through all of these miracles and moments in the history of Israel when he's faithful. So to him who divided the Red Sea in two for his steadfast love endures forever and made Israel pass through the midst of it for his steadfast love endures forever, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea for his steadfast love endures forever to him who led his people through the wilderness for his steadfast love endures forever. We see God as a miracle worker and a promise keeper as we praise him for his steadfast love. The Psalm by focusing on specific miracles that Israel has experienced in its history it brings the people together to celebrate these objective miracles and does not, and kind of discourages them at the same time from just thinking about things that have happened to them. Although that there's nothing wrong with that per se, but when the body is singing collectively, when we're corporately worshiping, we can sing about specific miracles that God has done that unite us together. And that brings order it brings unity, it, it it brings identity as the church, collectively the church body. So I think that's what's particularly nice about this psalm. And Waymaker, uh, again, it's good that that song references God as a miracle work- worker in some subjective or maybe broad ways, but it would be better if the song had some of the language that something like this psalm has very specific miracles. And the miracle that unifies Christians, of course, is, is Christ, Christ's work on the cross. Perfect. Well, thanks everybody for catching this episode of the Worship Review. Thanks so much for listening, and oh, yeah. we hope to catch you on our next episode. Mm-hmm.
You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.